I think baby boomers and millennials are connected. We're activists. Uh, we want to see change because we had it different. We were decades apart, but we had similar experiences. We both lived through wars, baby boomers, Vietnam War. Millennials, the, the Afghanistan one. We both saw rapid increase in technology. I think with a lot of these younger millennials, we want to run. We want to move forward at a fast pace. It's really just understanding how our perspective can contribute to the greater good, or do we need to completely start from scratch? Hello everyone, welcome to Power Up Women, our cross-generational, cross-cultural conversation about leadership, power, gender, and social justice. I'm Ann Doyle, and my co-host Dana Harvey will be back with us next week. Because in addition to fresh interviews on compelling topics, each month in 2021, which is our third season, we've decided to share some of our highest rated previous episodes. So today, you're going to meet the founders of Stilettos and Sneakers, who are tackling fear of failure and that dreaded imposter syndrome that still holds so many women back. And they're doing it with humor, intimacy, and honesty through the lens of, as they describe themselves, a sneaker sports-focused millennial and a high-heeled, legally trained baby boomer. Listen, laugh, and learn. Welcome to Powering Up, a cross-generational podcast about female power, what it looks like, why it's important, and what we can all do to claim our individual and collective power and put it to work. I'm Ann Doyle, author of Powering Up, How America's Women Achievers Become Leaders. And I'm Monica Doyle. I am not Ann's daughter. I am actually her niece, and I represent the millennial voice of this podcast. Among other things. Among other things. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm excited to have uh, another pair of feminists on today of the mindset and values between baby boomers and millennials, which is what Ann and I have been talking about for a while now. Um, and I'm also excited to just have another millennial on here. <laughs> <laughs> well, our guests today are the co-creators of what they describe as an intergenerational initiative they call Stilettos and Sneakers. Janice Zaro, a very successful Florida-based lawyer, has been in the workforce for over four decades, as I have. Welcome, Janice. Thank you, Anne. And also her... And Monica. <laughs> and Monica. And also her great-niece, Nicole Spiotta, an athlete who's also about to earn her master's in sports management. Welcome, Nicole. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having us. And I know, where are you, Nicole? Because I know that Janice is in Florida. I am in New Jersey. In New Jersey. And we are coming to you from the uh, Motor City studios of Motor City Woman just outside of Detroit. Um, but a little background on um, this conversation. Uh, Janice and I are both members of the International Women's Forum, 
which is a by-invitation global network of preeminent women leaders from over 35 countries. And we met just a few weeks ago at the opening reception of IWF's Global Leadership Conference, uh, where over a thousand women from all around the world had gathered in Miami. And we started talking, right, Janice? Oh, well, we did. Yep. And we discovered that we're both fascinated by and doing work related to uh, the similarities, the differences, and let's say the possibilities of baby boomers and millennials starting to have strategic conversations with each other. So um, one thing that I kind of wanted to jump into was I, I saw a little bit of your background about how you got started with talking about these ideas, you know, the differences between the 2016 election. Um, but first, I actually wanted to ask you what your, your goals and your aspirations were for your uh, Stilettos and Sneakers program. The goal of Stilettos and Sneakers is really to start and hopefully uh, encourage an intergenerational conversation that will help women listen to each other, to share, and to learn from each other. And uh, the, there are not a lot of, of opportunities in venues that enable different generations of women to co come together and really have uh, soulful conversations where they can do that kind of sharing. And I think to add to that, we're looking for rela relatable material, something that every type of woman has experienced or been exposed to to help grow that conversation. So the more people that can contribute, the better the conversation becomes. So if I could actually just um, jump right back into what I mentioned about the 2016 election, um, what was it that started the two of you in particular uh, talking about this subject matter? Like you could be speaking with like your daughter about it or your mom about it, but what was it that brought you two together to talk about the 2016 election and inspired you to, you know, get more people together talking about these things? Well, for me, as a baby boomer, it was clear that um, I was, as I looked at the election, the what I'll call the, the failure of Hillary Clinton to win the election meant something very different to me than it meant to Nicole. Uh, and so when we realized what her defeat meant and how different we were coming at it, we thought, what is this thing about failure? And how, what did her failure really mean to us? What did it mean to our lives? For me, when she lost that election, I was devastated because I felt that it just invalidated my, my personal and professional sort of lifelong values. And, and I saw male power, and I've always been interested in power, and this is a lot of what we talk about, in this initiative. I saw male power unleashed in ways that, that I had not quite seen before. I always knew it was there. And also, um, I, I think what came home to me, I taught a course on executive presence and taught younger women that if they were competent, experienced, prepared, had the right appearance, 
that, and they had the tenacity, they, they would win, not every time, but most, and I felt all of that was invalidated. Mm-hmm. Nicole, jump, jump in here. <clears throat> Absolutely. Well, for me, I studied political science in my undergrad, and I was right in the middle of the 2008 election, so when I started to study the material, I drew this personal connection to learn more about Hillary Clinton because I thought I was going to be able to study and witness history right in front of me. And I needed somebody to be able to talk to that about. And mm-hmm. I remember my great aunt would send me articles weekly in the mail, <laughs> newspaper articles. <laughs> <laughs> weekly? <laughs> Sound familiar, Monica? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'd have clippings and clippings. I actually have two full binders organized of the (laughs) materials that she sent me. Well, she was reading it, Janice. (laughs) (laughs) It was always great because I would get an article that I either just read on the Internet or obviously we get our news from different places. But when the presidential election of 2016 came, I felt... I was right in the middle of everything that my aunt had watched and participated in and really just had a personal connection with. And I felt like that election connected the two of us. And Mm. when she lost, immediately the first person I wanted to call was my aunt. Mm. And I think that was really how our conversation started Mm. because the two of us knew there was something so much more than just an election. So Whoa. go ahead, Monica. What's well, your reaction to all that? I'm I'm very interested in the concept that the two of you both seem to to really connect to this concept of failure. And I'm not saying that in like a detrimental way. I'm saying that in a way that like I know we've all experienced like this huge amount of failure and to see some such a powerful woman like Hillary Clinton experience it it kind of opens up your eyes to, oh my gosh, literally every woman is experiencing this on a daily basis. So like, I, um, I've i heard Janice speak a little bit about the failure aspect of it. Nicole, I'm kind of curious to know how you in particular related to this, this odd sensation of failure for such a powerful woman. I think I related it just through sports. My whole life has been winning or losing and you practice and you practice and you practice and you try and become perfect and you prepare and there's a constant study of material and how to finish a play or you know how to approach your at bat or any sports scenario and I was in the middle of watching women rise to the top in athletics and personally I related that to a powerful person in politics like Hillary Clinton. I was watching her prepare. I actually got to see her speak at the American Camp Association. And I was listening to her talk and her presence was practiced. And it felt like I could relate to that because that's what I did in sports. And I did that as an athlete, I did that as a coach, and I do that now as an aspiring athletic director. So that was really my personal connection with her as I watched her take steps to grow into her career and get to that ultimate position. And I was watching women in a different industry do that as well. And when she lost, I took a step back and really thought, how is this going to affect 
other industries. If this is at the highest level of politics in front of the entire nation, what's that going to do for the sports profession, especially for women? See, I I can relate to that a lot. I, I'm also in sports and in coaching. Um, my sport is ice hockey. And um, so it's it's very difficult when you're in a field like sports where you know that, you know, practice makes perfect. The more you practice, the more you work on your skills, the more results you're going to see. And yet here we have Hillary Clinton, who is arguably one of the most practiced, the most skilled in the field of politics as far as women are concerned. And yet no matter all of the practice and all of the preparation she had didn't seem to be enough. So that's kind of the concept of failure that I got watching her based on my own experiences. We, we've seen somebody who had been working for such a long time rise to the top, and when she got there, it turned into, you know, a man's game. And, and the devastating piece, I think the most devastating piece for me was that my entire life, and Janice, you and I are contemporaries, mm-hmm. um, we have been building our skills, building our resumes, you know, practicing, getting better and better and better and all those things. And, and finally, when you had, as they said, this candidate who was one of the most experienced and prepared and qualified ever to run for president in the history of the United States. And not only was that not enough, but that the choice that um, surpassed her was so unqualified. Uh That if it had been an equal, you know, maybe a fight of two qualified, you know, contenders, that would have been one thing. But that what destroyed me was that it was like, you can never be good enough, and we'll take anything but you. And it'll come before you. Did, any, I, did anyone I, else react in that way? Well, I think that uh, there's a yes to all of that, but this is a little bit of, uh, I also think it's a teachable moment for all women. Mm-hmm. And if we can reflect and figure out what it really means to us from a a couple of different perspectives. One of it is to really look at institutional power. And I think that many generations of women, including baby boomers, have never really understood how ingrained institutional norms Um, or power can be, and I don't care if we can be talking about sexual harassment or whether we're talking about how things should be done or whether we're talking about did, did we want this first woman candidate to be absolutely perfect in every way? Um... And why does she have to be perfect in every way when you have Donald Trump, who's exactly, imperfect in every way? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, but this is ingrained in us all along the way. And I think it's important for women. What I mean by it should be a teachable moment for us. I know, and I can only speak for myself, a part of this initiative has helped me, uh, and working with Nikki and millennials, is that to not not judge and and when a woman comes along take nancy pelosi right now who's fighting to be speaker of the house Mm -hmm. that we not say does she have to be perfect does she have to have uh what is this institutional power and and how is it impacting our judgment Mm -hmm. i think it's a time for us to ask those questions 
as women, whether we're baby boomers, Gen Xers, or millennials. Well, the other thing that I think is positive that came out of this is something, Nicole, that you had said when we talked a couple of days ago, uh, and I think that is in your background on stilettos and sneakers, is that that your generation uh, saw one of the results was that politics no longer requires years and years of experience and training. And so as a result, gee, if Donald Trump can get elected president, (laughs) maybe we don't have to wait till we're 40 and 50 years old to run for office. And now we have uh, Alexandria Octavio Gonzalez, 29 years old, you know, the youngest woman ever elected to Congress going into office January 1. It opened up all new possibilities maybe for a younger generation of women. Would you agree with that, Nicole and Monica? I would absolutely agree with that, especially with what I think are millennials view institutions and just kind of how now we can really create our own platform and use that as motivation to say, hey, here we are. Now it's our turn to have an equal voice and say, hey, we want to change. And if somebody like you know, the President Donald Trump can go in with limited experience into such a powerful field and be able to rally a group of supporters, then watch out because the millennial women, when given that same opportunity, I mean, you see it right now. We Mm -hmm. saw it in the midterms. And I think that's one of my hopes, and, and Janice, I bet you share that, is that we, we want younger women to go faster than we did. You know, go faster, stand on our shoulders. Don't take so long to learn things that we can already, like, share with you. It's not that we know better. It's just that there's some things that we figured out that we don't want you to waste time figuring out yourself. Take this stuff that we know and run. <laughs> go. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and the whole purpose of really examining failure and, and from this perspective is that I remember when I got that gut punch, uh, I, the gut punch you get when you fail. And I would hope that by sharing some experiences of how not to handle that kind of situation, because I certainly did a lot of things that I, should, I could have come out of my uh, funk, if you will, uh, out of the dilemma of uh, the humiliation of a failure so much faster and so much of a smarter way. And that's what I hope for, for younger generations of women. So they move much faster. Well, I think to, oh, go, sorry, ahead. go ahead. I think to add to that is really the idea of understanding your role. And Monica, you could relate to this as a coach. You know, how many times do you have kids that say, oh, I have my own coach. I have a personal trainer, I, I, I. And it's not really understanding how your role can contribute to the whole team or to the greater good. And I think with a lot of these younger millennials, we want to run. We want to move forward at a fast pace. It's really just understanding how our perspective can contribute to the greater good, or do we need to completely start from scratch? Yes, I, I highly agree with that. Uh, the, the way I usually relate it to my students is when somebody on your team gets a goal, that's your goal too. You know, everybody on the team 
benefits from that goal. It's not just the person who scored it. So, and ultimately that kind of, that exactly relates to what we've been talking about. You know, a a goal for a woman in charge is a goal for all of the women, you know, who voted for her, who are underneath of her. Um, But another thing that I wanted to talk about is the the confidence aspect of it because we talked about failure and I'm certain that every woman has a lot of experience with failure to you know relate to tough situations but how how do we get through that like what is your your group your organization's method your your goal in in helping women talk through the fear of failure which often stops you before you start I I approached it through uh, well, we picked eight topics through our initiative, and one of those topics was self-confidence. And as I looked back as a baby boomer on my life, and I really tried to examine where did, did the, the, the self-confidence or the lack of it in my case, believe it or not, and I'll share that, because I really feel that as a baby boomer, Starting from the very beginnings, I'm an Italian-American, born and raised a Catholic, that I really felt I had those two forces weighing on me, sometimes very positive, but sometimes undermining confidence. I mean, from the Italian-American side, there was lots of love, but there was also this message of humility, Mm -hmm. be humble. Well, that doesn't help a woman these days. That can be very... That doesn't give you the kind of self-confidence where you need to promote yourself and brag factually, but necessarily brag. And also, uh, the Catholicism and much of what that taught did not help. So what I did was finding myself not really taking the kind of risks at a younger age that I should have taken. And as I developed as an attorney and a corporate executive, I was basically faking it. I did a lot of the, the, the image building and I projected self-confidence, but the fake it till you make it that we're all told. (laughs) Faking it till I made it. I made it around 50. And that's really, really, I think important because it was at that point where I could really know who I was um, what I was all about. And I really think that it was at that point that I became a leader. I was not just successful and had a title. I mean, I was leading and I understood what that was all about. And then I would also throw in from the Italian, I had a very wonderful relationship with my father. And I think there was a study done, oh Lots my God, of them. ancient history, but yeah. it was where they really showed that women who are successful did have some very solid relationships with their fathers who encouraged them to be successful. So that whole, you got to deal with that whole self-confidence and, and the ability to take risks and where, where you can get some tips to do that and how you can evolve. And I think to add to that, something that's in our material, we, we talk about this idea of perfection and that striving for it, whether you're doing that consciously or unconsciously, it's, it's really unattainable, and it kind of undermines a woman's self-confidence. I look at it in, from a coaching aspect. Not every team I coach is going to be undefeated, but I'm okay if we lose a couple games and we have a couple failured moments. 
And that turns into us being better and working towards something. And the teams that we've won our conference or we've gone to states, we weren't perfect by any stretch of the means, but we overcame our failures. And we kind of looked at that from a self-confidence perspective. And I want to take the get into a piece of this whole conversation that's related to these uh, the distinct generations we're talking about here, because um, we are two baby boomers and two millennials, and uh, there's a generation in between, which is this Gen X generation, which Nicole would be like your mother. And um, maybe your mom. My mom's baby boomer. She's a baby boomer. Okay. But there's this important generation in the middle. But what I want to explore here is that, and I wrote in my book, I have to mention my book here, uh, Powering Up, How America's Women Achievers Become Leaders. One of the unique things that I did in that book, and it's really stood the test of the six years since the book's been out, that I wrote a chapter on each of those three very different generations of women because we are very different. But what I think is unique and what I believe Janice, you, and Nicole are exploring and Monica and I are exploring is there's something unique that's connecting, that has the potential to connect this baby boomer generation and millennial generation in a way that maybe the generation in the middle can be the bridge, but that it's so different. I, I've, I've seen almost a noted silence from that generation. You know, we, we hear a lot of, from the baby boomers and we hear a lot from the millennials. And like after reading the chapters in your books in particular, I realized that there, it, it does seem to skip a generation. You know, there's a voice that's going on right now. Any opinion on that? I, I agree with you. <laughs> I know I there's no opinion. Monica, They're both taking I a deep breath here agree. and going. And that generation just makes me crazy sometimes. <laughs> I love them. I love all women. But I, I want to say, you know, step up here. You know, we open the door. And, and, and yet there seems to be, um, and I think, uh, Anne, you, you, you lay it out perfectly, but they do not seem to be the activists. I think one of the let me let me step, approach it a different way. I think baby boomers and millennials are connected. We're activists. Uh, we want to see change because we had different. We were decades apart, but we had similar experiences. We both lived through wars: baby boomers, Vietnam War, millennials, the the Afghanistan War. We both saw rapid increase in technology. Um, at different times, but but. Uh, uh, clearly technological advances. And finally, we saw the whole gender equality and the, and the same-sex marriage, the gender issue just, just and for, for Exploding and again. I, the women's movement and the pill. Um, so given that, there are such similarities that, that of our experiences that we, we tend to have the same values. Uh, and and are, and want to be activists and change agents, but we might not realize it yet. Do you do you think it could have anything to do with like a, a resting on your laurels type of thing, where you have like the baby boomers who are coming off of this feminine mystique, this power that they have to make change and they have to get things done, and then the generation after them kind of feels that something's been done and they can chill out for a while, and then 
bam, you have the millennials come along and say, wait, there's more stuff going on here and things still aren't equal. So do you think that in that regard, we'll see the next generation be arresting on their laurels type from what the millennials are trying to achieve? Oh, well, before we get to Gen Z's, that, which is a great, great <laughs> point, a great point. But before we get to Gen Z's, and I hope they don't rest on laurels, let's get back. Uh, Nicole, jump in here with your perspective on what it is about these two generations that might make us at a moment of connecting in a powerful collective way. Well, I think the best way I've ever been able to connect with Gen X's is talking about the word tradition. Because, yes, I do believe they, like you said, Monica, rest on their loyals. But at the same time, there are things that they want to talk about. And there are things that they can easily can contribute to. And I think tradition is a key word because their traditions come from the baby boomers. And then they have a different approach to tradition. And then there's us millennials who look at tradition and say... What is this? <laughs> Screw that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, especially around the holidays, I always feel like, oh, well, we always used to do this. This is how it's always been done. But why? And when we comment on tradition and we kind of use that as the bridge, I think we're able to open them up a little bit more. It's trying to find that commonality. And that's really been the only strong one I've found. Well, what tradition, but what traditions related to this whole concept of women um, becoming empowered and equal citizens in this world? What could be the traditions we can tap into? See, I I usually tend to see it as the opposite of using tradition. I I tend to see it as blowing traditions out of the water. (laughs) If I'm being completely honest, you know, traditionally, if you were harassed in the workplace, you just, you know, muscled through it. And now we're kind of breaking through that tradition and saying, hey, wait a minute, why do we have to do that? Oh, it's tradition. What? (laughs) Well, I don't know if I'd call it a tradition. I definitely called it we felt like we couldn't do much about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So what kind of traditions were you talking about in particular that you think help relate? um, Is it Gen, Gen X? Well, well, I think we're talking about trying to find what it is that particularly baby boomers and millennials. we got to ease them into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that there's this divide. There's this big divide, and we should be connected. Yeah. Yes. Uh, th- any ideas on presence, that? Like the presence of women has something that has evolved, but it started from somewhere. You know, to use my mom as an example, she worked her way up through corporate America. She's a strong, independent woman. woman. But traditionally, she was surrounded by strong, independent women, baby boomers. And a lot of her presence was established by those baby boomers. And I, that's why I think that's a great way to start that conversation. It's saying, okay... Traditionally, you had a strong, independent woman working her way. How can we keep going forward? How do we not just close the door and say this is enough? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would just jump in that they are strong. I I see a lot of Gen Xers as strong, as independent. All of that, everything is that everybody said. What I don't see them is having the 
the connection to society, that civic uh, feeling about we need to make our institutions better. When I look at my life, I mean, the, the institutional anchors, which I may have protested and marched against when I was younger, but which I still care about and try to change in very different ways, whether it be the public school system, the legal system, the political system, the Catholic Church, you name it. Um, I, I very deeply feel that I am connected to making sure they work for the better of society and to, to, to do the right thing. I don't feel Gen Xers have that activism connection or that, or that ownership of those institutions. They don't reject them the way the babies do, boomers do. Well, and I, I have to admit, um, I think that the millennials draw a lot of inspiration off of seeing the effort that the baby boomers put out. You know, it's like, I, I can't help but wonder if maybe the Gen Xers just didn't step back and, you know, draw power from that the way that the millennials have. And one thing that I've discussed with Anne a lot on this show is I feel like Anne often feels unappreciated for her efforts. <laughs> but my my views on it are I am appreciative. I just don't have time because there's more stuff going on. We, we're picking the fight back up. And that's why it seems like you know, we're, we're similar and we're different in all of these different ways. Well, the only appreciation I really need is to see women get going. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that was why I wrote my book. It was like, hey, you know, uh, we have become in my lifetime uh, a, gen a generation, a nation of high achieving women, but we were leadership underachievers. And I, I saw the momentum stop. And I, and I felt as if it stopped with the Gen X generation, and, mm -hmm. and in some ways, as I thought it all through, it maybe was evolutionary from an evolution point of view. It made sense that if the if the pioneering interlopers, the baby boomers, were the Marines fighting their ways in, taking the beaches, knocking down the doors of those conference rooms, they didn't want us in there. The those boardrooms, the the Gen Xs were the baby the the diplomats that came along and said. Uh, we're not those nasty, mean, feminist, you know, baby boomers. Calm down, calm down. We no. just want to come in here and sit down and not rock the boat and calm everybody down. That makes a lot and, of sense. And, and, right. And maybe that was okay, but they kept the door open and they got more seats at the table, and mm -hmm. that was right. And now it's time to, okay, now that you're there and you have those seats, don't just squat there. Let's get going. Mm -hmm. And help your sisters invite more in mm -hmm. get yeah. these millennials in and and help lift them up well and on that note i'd actually like to ask you um what type of things would does your um stilettos and sneakers program what kind of things do you have to say about women helping women about um you know baby boomers empowering millennials about working together in this regard because one thing that i've experienced in uh, my my own life is, you know, you're a girl that likes sports. You don't belong with the girls. You you belong with the boys. You know, how, how do we stop this exclusion game that tends to come along with power? Well, I think the first thing is hopefully through the sharing of personal experiences, which are very real-life experiences from both my perspective and then Nicole's, people say, hey, hey, I this is an ordinary person I can relate to, this 
happened to me, and they can gain some insights. And there's a feeling that they're certainly not alone. There is another piece of it that we've done. We, we've put a questionnaire together and have um, interviewed our goal. We're about halfway through this piece of it, but is to interview women from every decade, women in their 20s, 30s, right up through 80s, on various aspects of, of failure, from self-confidence. We talk about perfection. We ask them about is it more important to be liked or respected, uh, how did you handle your public and private failure? And then at the end, we are putting we put together, for example, on self confidence, some some tips, um, self help tips, so that you can evolve. We call it into an authentic self. And then we have another section on tips that are taken from the intergenerational interviews. So hopefully, as we 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 compile those tips and share those in some ways. That's a way that I think gets at the issue that you you presented. So, and then as well as, um, you know, trouble in paradise like that, you know, fighting against ourselves, I was wondering if you have any experiences from your own particular fields. Like, uh, Nicole, if I can start with you, I know you're in sports, you're an athlete, you're a coach, you're... um, getting your master's currently correct yep i'm almost done <laughs> yep so is uh do you have anything in your own fields that you can relate directly to this stilettos and sneakers experience absolutely um something that i've seen a lot even more recently working for a college and seeing it at that level is the idea of women not being qualified enough to be head coaches of women's teams. Of women's teams, interesting. Of women's teams. Let alone men. Yeah. Right. Or to be at that athletic administrator level. So I'm seeing two resumes being compared to be the head coach of a women's sport, and sometimes women aren't even included in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying just because it's a women's sport it should only be coached by a woman, but based off of experience, you have a woman who played women's sports and was involved with women's athletics. So that alone is not really comparable. And the hypocrisy that I see is a lot of women struggle to get to the highest level of being an athletic director or being some type of athletic administrator who oversees all of the sports and a lot of the times, the reason is is because, well, they've never played football. Well, then, if they've never played football, then how come a male coach who's never played women's soccer gets to yep. coach the women's soccer team? <laughs> yep, and I've experienced that all too many times as well. <laughs> um, so, Janice, do you have uh, something from your own field that you can relate to your stilettos and sneakers experience? Give me that again. In what sense now? So basically in the idea of this subject of failure that we've been talking about, Mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, inequality in your field, women in power, why they're not more prevalent than they should be at this point. Well, I I, I see. I I feel that we somewhere along the line, and I I think technology may have been a part of this, toward the end of my corporate career, I 
at one point saw many of the most talented women. They were coming in with far more degrees than I had, and they were smarter than I was, and I was so excited. I, I was naive enough to think they were going to be female CEOs heading Fortune 500 companies all over the place. How wrong I was. But what I soon realized is a lot of these women began leaving the companies I was with mm-hmm. and going out and forming their own businesses. No, I'm going to leave and have a baby, whatever the issue, the, the, the excuse, I want to call an excuse, whatever the reason was. But what I really felt was that we were beginning to have women come into these sort of major institutions. I happen to be in the business corporate world. But I saw it in, in, in other instances as well. I saw it in, I also spent 10 years in the nonprofit world. I saw it there too, where women did not understand institutional power. They began to be confused about what was their personal inadequacy. Oh, I'm not good enough. I didn't get that promotion. He didn't, I gave this presentation to the, my, my boss, usually a male boss. He didn't, he didn't accept it. They couldn't figure out how to maneuver that the the power systems, uh, the, the the pressure points, within a, a major institution, so they could advance both themselves and their agenda. And rather than tough it out, fight it out, you know, be tenacious, you can make it. They said, "I'm not going to take this. I've got a better option. I've got a personal life. I want some." What do you call it? Work-life balance? I never had it, but I think that's what it's called. And, I've heard and, it exists. <laughs> and so we lost women. Mm-hmm. And so that, that I saw over and over again. And, and one of the reasons for putting my heart and soul and passion, besides getting to work with Nicole on this, is that I don't want to lose women. I, want, I don't want them just to destroy institutions or disrupt I want them in there, at the table, in charge, and making decisions. You know, and we could keep on, I think, for another 30 minutes, but (laughs) before we wrap this up, uh, I I wanted to touch on the fact that um, we've just had this incredible pink wave in these midterm elections where we had an unprecedented number of women. Uh, I believe we have 123 women who will be in the new Congress beginning January 1st. And I, I think the last number was 84. Yeah, you mentioned 80. Right. I mean, it's a dramatic uh, increase. Uh, what do you think that signals about where we are at this moment in history? Because that's a very different place than what you were just talking mm-hmm. about, Janice, in terms of this time of starting to lose women walking away. I mean, I feel this wave of women jumping in to a very important institution and saying, we want our voices heard in Congress, in, in political office. In sports. <laughs> mm-hmm. And anybody want to weigh in, in well, terms of how do you I, feel your emotion let's just talk about the emotion at this moment of what where we are right now i i think it has to do a lot with what um i think we were talking about it off podcast the other week of you know a female reporter you know and people coming to her and saying hey why don't you just leave if you're taking so much abuse and her answer was you know a simple answer that i'm sure all of us here already know which is 
if I leave, they win. If I leave, they get what they want. If I stop, then then they get what they want and I don't get what I want. And that just doesn't seem right at the end of the day. And that's kind of what I feel like I'm seeing from things like the women that we're seeing in politics, this wave of women in politics, programs like Stilettos and Sneakers, podcasts like ours, you know, people coming out and saying, hey, why don't you have a female coach when she played soccer and he played football? Why don't you have, you know, more female politicians? And the answer of, oh, women just don't want to do this is not acceptable anymore. We're not taking that anymore because there's been plenty of women lately raising their hands and being like, um, I'd like to give that a try. And now I think we're just learning to be less soft about it. And I think it's thanks to people talking about things through things like your stilettos and sneakers program, through women's programs, through sports, through work, through business, through all of these wonderful connections that we have between women and feminists and allies alike even. And, and let's throw in the whole Me Too. Yeah. With the raising their voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, into that great list that you gave there. Well, let me give Janice and Nicole uh, one last chance to uh, get your last word in here in terms of um, any, any advice or any thoughts or any insight you want to leave people with who are listening to this conversation. I just hope stilettos and sneakers and podcasts like yours continue to do just what Monica said, that we can start and continue and and grow this intergenerational conversation so we can listen and learn from each other and share. And, can, and hopefully there is and will no longer be even thought of as a pink wave, because it will just be a matter of fact that each Congress that we elect will be a hundred more women that come into power. Absolutely. I agree. And I just hope that every generation of women and, and men included want to be able to embrace these types of conversations so that we can get to that point. You know, embrace it with open arms because here we're coming. <laughs> <laughs> here we're coming. I love it. All right. Well, I think it's really important that women start leveraging these collective influences and by supporting one another privately and publicly. Um, But we have to listen to each other first. Janice and Nicole, um, how can our listeners learn more about you and your stilettos and sneakers program uh, or invite you to speak in, in locations and inspire some more people? Do you have a website or Facebook where people can contact you? We have a social media platform, so you can find us on Facebook. You can like our Stilettos and Sneakers page. We're also on Twitter. And if anybody's interested in contacting us personally, you can email us at sneakersandstilettos1 at gmail.com. Sneakersandstilettos1 at gmail.com. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. It's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, I'd love to see us maybe do some workshops or panels together in the future. I think it could be fun. That would be great. Our thanks to lawyer Janice Zaro and athlete, master's degree student Nicole Spiotta, developers of Stilettos and Sneakers an intergenerational initiative to create conversations about bridging the mindset and values divide between three very distinct generations of aspiring women in the workplace today. Thank you, Janice. Thank you, Nicole. I'm Ann Doyle. And I'm Monica Doyle. 
and let's go power up. Thanks for joining us at Powering Up Women. If you like this episode, we hope you will subscribe, share us with your networks, and better yet, rate us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, which really helps build awareness. And Dana and I would love to hear from you through our Power Up Women Facebook group, through LinkedIn or Twitter. And remember, power is the currency for getting things done. So claim yours and put it to work.